Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. On Tuesday evening, there was a massive explosion in Beirut, Lebanon's capital. The blast sheared off part of an office building. At least four people were killed. And in the moments after, we learned that among the dead was a senior, very influential Hamas official, Salah al-Aruri. So who was responsible? Many experts quickly looked to Israel. After all, its leadership said its goal was to destroy Hamas once and for all after the deadly terror attack on October 7th. This would seemingly be in line with that mission. But on MSNBC, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's senior advisor, Mark Regev, did not say it was them. Though he didn't say it wasn't them either. Uh, Israel has not taken responsibility for this attack, but whoever did it, it must be clear that this was not an attack on the Lebanese state. It was not an attack even on Hezbollah, the terrorist organization. However, a few hours later, a U.S. official told CNN that Israel did indeed carry out the strike. And this is a big deal because this explosion happened in Beirut, the capital of another country, well outside Israel's northern border. A move like that could be seen as an act of war. We'll see if there's any response from allies of Hamas in the region. Hamas itself, remember, is already fighting a brutal, grinding war inside Gaza. And for weeks, we've been talking about the pressure Israel is getting from around the world to take more care to reduce civilian casualties in that fight. So as we enter a new year, and as the Palestinian death toll continues to soar, the question is, are we actually going to see that shift? In terms of the end of this war, it's probably going to rumble on in the sense that it's never going to be really over. Today, an update on the ground operation in Gaza and what an unprecedented move from Israel's Supreme Court says about the future of its prime minister. From CNN, this is Tug of War. I'm David Ryan. CNN's Elliot Gotkin has reported on Israel and Israeli politics for years. He's back in Tel Aviv now. I spoke with him on Tuesday afternoon. Elliot, over the last week, week and a half, a lot of people have, you know, been enjoying the holidays, maybe disconnecting a bit from the news. But of course, the war between Israel and Hamas has continued. So can you just like catch us up? What has been happening on the ground? That's absolutely right. There's been no let up in the fighting. Uh, Israel, you know, on a daily basis is still sending out reports about how it's, you know, and I'll give you an example just from uh, today that it's been sending out reports about discovering a Hamas command center in Gaza City in the northern part of the Gaza Strip, talking about how it's uh, discovered another bunker belonging to Hamas, uh, talking about taking out uh, you know, militant cells and the like. And, and, and there's been no real change in that. 
Interestingly enough, Yoav Gallant, the defense minister, was in the Gaza Strip today, and he was addressing troops and also kind of, you know, getting the lie of the land. And, and he was saying, for example, in response to reports that Israel was moving perhaps to a lower intensity level of fighting of the kind that the United States has been pushing Israel to do. Right. Gallant saying the feeling that we will stop soon is incorrect. Without a clear victory, we will not be able to live in the Middle East. And I suppose one of the reasons why people were thinking that maybe we are moving to this or seeing this lower intensity phase is the announcement on New Year's Day that Israel would be allowing something like 20,000 troops or so to go away from the fighting, back mm. to their families, to their communities, to their jobs. But Israel is saying that, look, this isn't because it's a lower intensity level of fighting. It's to give them a chance to recuperate, to, you know, get back with their families, to retrain in some cases, and also to give a bit of a fillip to the Israeli economy. Because you've got, you know, Two, three hundred thousand people being called up for this war with Hamas. The economy is really suffering. Key workers are missing. Managers are missing. Sub businesses are are teetering on the brink. And so the idea of saying that this is also to give the economy a bit of a boost as well. The term lower intensity. That's what the U.S. kind of is is pushing for here. But will that make any tangible difference to Palestinians who are hungry or injured, have nowhere to live? Like, what is the situation there right now? David, I suppose the lower intensity phase of this war, which the US have been pushing for, was also going to be, rather than, you know, airstrikes on a large scale, to be much more focused in terms of, you know, the militants that Israel is targeting and the infrastructure that Israel is targeting. The terrifying sound of ongoing bombardment, Israeli shells hitting targets. Closer and closer to this UN-run school in central Gaza. For thousands sheltering here, it's time to move again. Families forced to flee for their lives. And this is not the first or even second time for many. Now, we already know that the death toll continues to rise. This, of course, according to the Hamas-run health ministry, we are at more than 22,000, the ministry says. Mm. Now, it doesn't distinguish between combatants and civilians. And Prime Minister Netanyahu just the other day was talking about how Israel has killed more than 8,000 militants. So it's a bit too simplistic to kind of subtract one from the other. But certainly, you know, the death toll we know is continuing to grow. And the hope was that if there is a lower intensity phase of the fighting, that would mean fewer casualties and would also give, I suppose, more opportunity for more humanitarian aid to surge into the Gaza Strip, something that is desperately needed. There's no safety in the school. We're looking for a safer place. I'm leaving because of the intensity of the airstrikes and the suffering. Everywhere else is crowded. There's no guarantee they'll find a spot. But what else can they do? As of now, I don't think we're seeing any big difference to the Palestinians of the Gaza Strip, where something like 80% of the population has been displaced and where many of those are facing the risks of, of, of disease, of, of, of hunger. Where am I supposed to go? Children were killed here. I'm terrified. I'm scared. And the thought of me being killed or my, bro my other brother being killed just crossing my mind uh, repeatedly. And so although Israel doesn't seem to be transitioning to a lower intensity phase of the war as the US would wish, 
the pressure on Israel to do so isn't going to go away anytime soon, not least because US Secretary of State Antony Blinken is due in town yet again to have discussions with Israel. No doubt they will talk about the military campaign, about the importance of minimising civilian casualties, of course, about getting those 100 plus hostages back. And another thing which we haven't talked about, which perhaps is a conversation for another time, is the day after the Gaza war. Now, given that the war is probably going to go on for months, at least according to the Israelis. Perhaps it's not a conversation that has to be had today. Yeah, well, I was going to say, because when we hear that this operation is going to continue throughout 2024, like, is an end date something that the U.S. is going to want to hear? Yeah, look, I think what Netanyahu and the chief of the general staff and others have been saying is months rather than the entirety of 2024. I don't think... Anyone's going to want, you know, okay, by date X, we will be done and dusted. Mm. But I think that as Israel, you know, moves towards achieving some of its objectives, and it seems, although it's been saying this for weeks now, that it's almost job done in the northern part of the Gaza Strip, then, you know, the end game will perhaps come into clearer focus. But I think the other point noting is it's probably not going to be from one day to the next the fighting starts or stops, leaving aside the possibility of some kind of truce where the fighting will stop for the duration of that truce. But in terms of the end of this war, it's probably going to rumble on in the sense that it's never going to be really over because there will still be fighters from Hamas, presumably. There will still be infrastructure or rocket launchers or what have you that Israel will feel that it needs to target. So, you know, the the big war will invariably end at some point, but perhaps a lower level war of the sort that we may be, you know, seeing for now on the northern border with Hezbollah may continue to rumble on. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We're back with Tug of War. I'm speaking with CNN's Elliot Gottkin. What about the hostages? Has there been any movement on a new deal to get them out of Gaza? There is hope in the sense that even Netanyahu says that there are conversations taking place and you know, seem to be suggesting the deal could be doable. We saw reporting from Axios saying that in principle, Hamas has agreed to restart talks about some kind of hostage swap for Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails that could see something like 40 of the hostages freed in exchange for something like up to a month's pause in fighting. Now, this is all very preliminary in the sense that they're not even sitting around the table. Of course, we've got Qatari mediators in between. You've also got the people that make the decisions 
from Hamas, probably in many cases, many meters underground trying to avoid being killed. So communication isn't exactly easy, but certainly the government says it is determined and will leave in Netanyahu's words, no one will be left behind. And this is clearly a priority for Israel. There is pressure growing and, and continuing on the government to make this the top priority. As I say, it's too early to say that another deal is on the table. It's not on the table. I suppose there are conversations about conversations yeah, right talks now. Talks about talks. Exactly. But we are at least moving perhaps in the direction of some kind of talks and conversations and perhaps with a deal further down the line being done. There's obviously been a lot of pressure on Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu ever since October 7th. But now this Supreme Court decision on this controversial judicial law is is adding another layer to this, right? Can you explain kind of the background here and where this goes from here? Sure. I mean, anyone listening or who's watching the news in 2023 coming out of Israel before October the 7th couldn't avoid this subject. Israeli protesters again flooded the streets of central Tel Aviv. Large demonstrations like this have taken place every weekend since January and sometimes more often. This was the big news story out of Israel for almost the entirety of 2023. Once again, more than eight months in, there are still tens of thousands, if not more, people on the streets protesting against this judicial overhaul, which Every single week, tens of thousands of protesters demonstrating against the government's plans for a judicial overhaul, which would have weakened the powers of the Supreme Court and which the protesters said led them to be concerned about Israel's democratic character being irreparably damaged. We're fighting for justice and liberty, just like the American story. Changing the spirit and the life of the country from a democracy to a totalitarian regime, we don't want to go there. Now, the government managed to just pass one element of its judicial overhaul. This was technically an amendment to what's known as a basic law. Israel doesn't have a written constitution. It has basic laws. That's the closest thing Israel has to a constitution. And the government, because it has a majority with its coalition partners in the Knesset, the parliament, passed an amendment to a basic law, which removed the Supreme Court's powers to overturn government decisions on the grounds of reasonableness. And that sounds very technical, but I'll give you a concrete example. The government tried to appoint one Aryeh Derry, who is the leader of the Shas party. The Shas party is one of Netanyahu's coalition partners. Aryeh Derry has been convicted most recently of tax fraud. Netanyahu tried to make him a minister. The Supreme Court said no. You cannot make him a minister. And the grounds for that was it was unreasonable to make this man a minister given his prior convictions. So the government passed this legislation, this amendment to a basic law, which meant that in future or as in after this law was passed, which was in July, the government could no longer be prevented from doing things or have its decisions overturned on the grounds of reasonableness. Mm. So what the Supreme Court in this unprecedented New Year's Day decision, because it's never before overturned a basic law or an amendment to one, what the Supreme Court has done is said that this amendment to the basic law cannot stand and has now been thrown out, which means that the Supreme Court once again has the power to overturn government decisions on the ground of reasonableness. Now, I know it sounds very, very technical, but this was just one element of a multi-pronged plan by the government to overhaul the judiciary, which would have given the Supreme Court fewer powers 
and the government more powers. And because there's no written constitution, because the presidency is a ceremonial role, because there's no upper house of parliament, the Supreme Court is basically the only real check and balance on what the government does. Right. And so what these protesters were out on the streets demonstrating against week in, week out, in their thousands, men, women, children, what they were demonstrating against was the way that this law and the government's plans to overhaul the judiciary were going to weaken the powers of the Supreme Court, remove checks and balances on the government, and lead Israel on the path towards some kind of quasi-dictatorship. So what does this have to do with the war then? Well, I don't think it's going to have a direct impact on the war. Israel is pretty united when it comes to the war. And Israeli society was being torn apart before October the 7th. There were people saying they weren't going to turn up to reserve duty in the army, something that was hmm. unprecedented in this country. Israeli President Isaac Herzog's plea in a televised address for consensus and a warning. We are at a moment before a confrontation, even a violent confrontation. The powder keg is about to explode. Because of October the 7th, those divisions... I wouldn't say went away, but they certainly went on the back burner. So I don't think it's going to affect the war. If anything, because of the unity that the war has led to, this is just going to be, as one analyst, uh, Reuven Khazan, professor of political science at Hebrew University, telling me earlier today that the government will just swallow this because, mm. you know, there's just other fish to fry. There are other more important pressing matters right now. Like this is not what Netanyahu wanted, but he can't exactly come out and say, hey, this this is what needs to be talked about now. Like there's just more going on. Right. And there is a school of thought that, and, and this is from Amit Segal, who is a political analyst, chief political analyst at Channel 12, who told us that if the war hadn't been going on, Netanyahu's far-right coalition members would have basically forced him to come out and fight and, mm. and come out with all guns blazing against this Supreme Court ruling. But because of the war, they can't. And one other comment from Reuven Khazan at Hebrew University saying today, which is, I think, very instructive and related to the war, if we didn't have the war, he said, we would have had an internal war and we've avoided that. So the war with Hamas has, I suppose, supplanted in a way the internal war, the divisions in Israeli society that were apparent pretty much the whole of 2023 up until October the 7th. Really interesting. Elliot, thank you very much. Thanks. Great to talk to you. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Taylor Galgano, Paolo Ortiz, and me, David Rind. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. We get support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dionora, Lenny Steinhardt, Jameis Andres, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namorow. Special thanks to Caroline Patterson, Michael Schwartz, Garrett Hutchins, and Katie Hinman. We will be back on Friday with another update. I'll talk to you then. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.